All right, folks. Duke Machado here. RNHA News Radio Podcast. Visiting with Lauro Diaz tonight. Lauro is a, a candidate for sheriff. Diaz for sheriff. You look him up on his Facebook page, Diaz for Sheriff. You can kind of get to know who he is and see his website and everything like that. And, you know, I've gone through and watched some of the videos and and uh, kind of... You have really strong conservative principles and you do it in English and in Spanish. And we're honored to have you on tonight as a guest on the RNHA News Podcast, Mr. Lauro Diaz. How are you tonight, sir? Very well, very well. Good evening to you and all the listeners. I truly appreciate this opportunity to speak to anyone that's listening and uh, put my plan forward here. And uh, I'm excited about being on your show. Well, we're honored to have you. And, uh, you know, you are you have a, an organization in Florida. The RNHA Florida chapter is so well organized and uh, so effective at helping candidates there. And, you know, do you know the guys over there, Santiago know, and them? Yes, sir. I do. I sure. I've, we've met in person, actually. Yes. yes, yes. They, they, from from what I see, are the most active. I mean, they are are lighting it up and and trying to do uh, grassroots work and help and help candidates uh, like yourself. So it's good that you're working with them. And uh, you know, you're in Palm Beach County. That's <laughs> It's like uh, I, I want to say I've heard that on on, on cops or, or live PD or something like that. A lot of action in your area. What's what's your main concern? Why do you want to run for sheriff uh, in Palm Beach? Well, sir, that's an excellent question. But I'll back up first a little bit and tell you a little a little bit about actually Palm Beach County. Palm Beach County is an extremely diverse county. It's a very large, not just in size but also population. Uh, we said approximately, last time I checked, uh, around 1.4 million uh, residents, and sometimes it goes as high as 1.7, 1.8 during season, which we're at right now with uh, with uh, people that come in and move in just for the season. Uh, but regardless, um, you know, this, this county is, uh, people misunderstand it all the time. They think it's a very rich, wealthy county. True, true it is, but it's a very small part of the county that's wealthy and rich. There's There's a lot of poverty within the county. Uh, and you really need to uh, keep that in consideration, not only when you're running for office, but to make sure that you make the sound decision and do what's right for all citizens of Palm Beach County. And of course, that being said, this is now and has been for quite a long time before he was president uh, or current president Donald Trump lives actually in Palm Beach County, which uh, you know even draws more attention and puts uh, a lot of strain in a positive way, but puts a lot of strain onto the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office which is the largest law enforcement agency in the county, uh, which is really truly responsible for protecting him when he's in town besides the uh, municipalities. But it's a great, great <clears throat> county. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's divided by many different municipalities. Um, and it's, uh, like I said, very, very large in size. If, if I'm not incorrect, I believe it's the largest county east of the Mississippi, which is very large. So, so tell um, me tell me about Captain Diaz. Okay, excellent question. Captain Diaz is a young man who was born in Cuba, arrived in the United States uh, in 1970. Thank God uh, my father uh, made the move to get us out of there to give uh, all, of the, all of his children uh, a better life and an opportunity of what we call in this country the American dream. And it's funny because a lot of the times, and I'll, I'll step ahead here for a second, a lot of the times I say to myself, I hear people say, you know, 
dreamers, uh, and I, I have to remind myself and remind people that when they're speaking to me, I'm actually not a dreamer. I am the American dream. Hmm. I've had a fabulous life in this country. Uh, the opportunities this country has given me are, are just, I mean, it, it would take me hours to explain them to you. And that is the primary reason why, as soon as I could, uh, right out of high school, I joined the, uh, the U.S. Army. Uh, just to pay back this country for the great opportunity they gave me. I, a Cuban immigrant who did not know how to speak English and one thing led to another. I started school basically in seventh grade for all practical purposes. Didn't really learn how to speak English till around 10th grade and uh, just barely got through high school. But, uh, you know, today I, I have a bachelor's of science in criminal justice, graduated with a 3.9 and then went on and got my master's in homeland security and emergency management, which I'm extremely proud being that I'm a Cuban immigrant. As I said, uh, to graduate the top of my class with a 4.0. So, wow, that's country, awesome. Yeah, all, yeah all, only this country. But getting back to them, I am a father. I have two wonderful sons. I have a wonderful wife, uh, and I have a wonderful granddaughter. So again, I'm very blessed. And and I got to tell you, the career uh, that I've had, uh, if you go on my site and you take a look at it, it's just it's something you could write a book out of. And I'm very fortunate. And again, I will reiterate it again only possible in this great nation of ours. This, that's it. There's no other way of putting it. So let's talk about Cuba real quick. Um, yes, sir. My, you know, I learned that Machado, or Machado, however one prefers yeah, to say no, it's, it, it's Machado, just like your is, name, uh, like your is, uh, has a lot of roots in Cuba. And so it got me interested in Cuba. And, you know, I, I ran across a book by, I think his name was, I can't remember his name. Grover or something or other, and uh, and it was about following with uh, marching with Gomez was the name of the book, and right. you know Gomez was the um, former Spanish captain who be- joined the rebels and then led the rebel forces, and then eventually the United States came in and helped. Correct. Uh, with actually, they were the uh, Buffalo Soldiers that went in. And uh, I to believe Cuba. That was under, uh, I believe that was under Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So isn't that isn't that awesome? So I I kind of learned all that history and the richness of of that. Then it got got me into slave trading and all the industry yeah. of slave trade and and all that. And, and you know just how those countries were uh, dominated by dictators, a dictatorship, yeah. and monarchies like the Spanish government, and then. So now, so now the modern day of that is socialism. Is kind of how I see it. Cuba is communist and has dictators and all that sort of stuff, and the people are oppressed. I met one guy. I can't imagine what it's like in in Florida, but here in Texas, you don't run across a whole lot of Cubans. And right. and when you do, a lot of them aren't really willing to talk about <laughs> what it's like over there. It's so bad, and, and you know when when they do, they're still a little bit nervous to talk about it. So it must right. be bad. Yeah, and it is, and it really, I mean, it really truly has not changed to us to a, a large extent. Uh, and now, mind you, you know, I left as a young child. Um, uh, I arrived here when I was ten years old in the United States, actually in West Palm Beach. In the United States, but um, but I do have you know some some pretty clear memory of what the system was, more into the school part of it than anything else because obviously I was too young to work or or, mm-hmm. or be held responsible for anything per se. But but I do remember very clearly how strict the school codes were and how we had to learn socialism at, at its finest and how we had to pray uh, uh, pray tribute every single day to the what we would call in this country the founding father 
over there would be the founding father of the 59 revolution, the 1959 revolution with Fidel Castro, uh, Che Guevara, and Camilo Cienfuegos. Those are uh, the, the three founding fathers of what it would be the latest revolution in the history of Cuba. Cuba has been through many different revolutions, uh, but that was, of course, the, the most recent and the, the most prominent. And, and it's a shame because it has been an oppressed country. Uh, the opportunities are very limited, and, the, and these are facts that I'm that I'm speaking to you about. Anytime you spend eight years of medical school, and I'm using that as an example because I have family members of mine that were doctors in Cuba, and two of them are actually doctors here now. Thank God they got out of there. Mm. And, you know, you had to drive a taxi on the side to make a living because doctors are making $25 a month, and they can't feed their family. Something's wrong with that system. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. there's something broken there. And, and then when you have to ask for permission— to leave the country to travel. I mean, honestly, here we get very spoiled. We forget, and I'll say it again, we forget what a great nation we live in. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we have our passport, and we go and we travel abroad, no questions asked. You know, we go through customs, and, and we have a great time, and we have a great life. Um, the people in Cuba can't do that. You know, I have family members there that I have not seen. I haven't seen any of my cousins. I did not see my grandmother or my grandfather or my uncles. They all passed away. Over the last almost 50 years I've been living here because I was never allowed to go back and visit. Wow. So there's something wrong with that. Well, Obviously, there's something wrong with that. Well, and so they they find a lot of them their their way to uh, Florida. And so you have a lot of uh, Cuban voters there, Cuban-American voters. Yeah. Uh, Are are more of them – are you finding more of them moving towards the Republican Party? You know, wow. You know, honestly, that is a great question. I will say yes, right off the get-go, but here's a frustrating part for me. Uh, there's a large Hispanic population in Palm Beach County. Uh, I, when you put it uh, in, into percentages, I would say roughly around 25%, uh, which is quite a bit, between 20 and 25%. And the sad part about it is that they just don't, and, and I'm not saying they as in general, the, the Cubans, or they as in general, the Hispanics, for that matter, really us, the regular white American born here their whole life, we take for granted, and we really don't take the opportunity, the power that we have as voters. You know, what everybody fought in this country for to have the right to vote, you know, sometimes we just ignore it. When you look at the population, the amount of people that vote compared to the overall population is very sad. It's very sad. And then those are the same people that sit around and complain about they don't like the system. Well, then do something about it. We have the power. We are the people. And we have the power to, to make a stand and, and vote, folks. If, if you don't like what you have in place, then vote. I mean, but don't complain about it. If you don't have the discipline to register to go vote or to become a U.S. citizen, uh, you know, then, then shame on you. Keep it to yourself as far as I'm concerned. But that's just me. Well, to, uh, I, yeah, to me, it sorry. seems like uh, if one is able to vote, you know, if a new immigrant can find their way to citizenship and voting, then, right. then they would want to at least understand who they are voting for, what party, what they mean. And sure. and I think that you know, obviously the Republican Party makes sense. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have to we have to make sure that we're getting our message out there uh, and that um, – and that they know the candidates who represent them. And, right. you know, that's why, uh, you know, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, folks, we're going to get into the details in what uh, makes Captain Diaz your choice for a sheriff. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All 
All right, folks, Duke Machado here, RNHA News Podcast. We're visiting with Lauro Diaz, Captain Diaz, or also known as Diaz for Sheriff. <laughs> You're a busy man, sir. Yes, sir, I am. I am. I'm trying to get the message out. I'm running against a 16-year incumbent uh, because there's no term limit in this county, which I'm totally against. I think there should be term limits. Uh, and that's one of the things, God willing, uh, I'm fortunate enough to win this election. Uh, I will lobby our governor and our legislative branch up in Tallahassee, which is the capital of Florida, and see if we can get a, a term limit here. Uh, because I just don't I don't think uh, that, that you really give it your all. After several terms, you become uh, very complacent. Um, and, and then there's a fine line. And if you look at my message on my site, it says Citizens Before Politics. Uh, there's a reason why I picked that. Um, and that is because I believe that when you've been in office too long, you start uh, self-serving yourself. In other words, you put your, your interests before the public. And when you make decisions, you make your decisions based on what political impact that decision is going to have down the road for the next election. And uh, one, of the, one of my go-to lines that I say all the time as I do public speaking here in Palm Beach County is I say this. Laurel Diaz is running for sheriff now uh, because I am a, a citizen and I have the right to. Uh, and I have the experience, and, I, and it's time for a new sheriff. But trust me when I say this, I will not campaign for the second four years. I will let you, the public, decide whether or not I did a good enough job in my first four years. Um, I shouldn't have to come out and campaign the second time around, whether there's people running against me or, or not. It's irrelevant. Uh, the people should be able to judge me on what I've done my first four years. And that, that's how I stand, because I'm very passionate about making sure that when I make a decision, it's a decision that um, primarily concerns uh, the or the impact that's going to have on the citizens of Palm Beach County, not what impact it's going to have on me, positive or negative, down the road politically. Um, and uh, with a 16-year incumbent, there's been a lot of favors uh, done, um, a lot of, and I don't want to use the word shady uh, in any way, shape, or form, but a lot of questionable um, actions that have occurred, um, especially in the last eight years. I mean, Folks, we don't have to look that far back. Just just take a look at what's going on right now with Jeffrey Epstein. That's right here in this county. That was in our jail. That was in our community. That was with our deputies. Uh, that was with our commanders. And the sheriff refuses to come out and take responsibility for it. Instead, he points fingers at the deputies that work the detail. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Epstein case, but I'll be happy to tell you in less than two minutes what happened there, which is very sad. Oh, that's we have to do that right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, basically, what happened was that there's a... The sheriff here came out on the local news and said that the reason Jeffrey Epstein was released on work release from the Palm Beach County Jail was because he was not a registered sex offender. That At that time, he still hadn't registered. Uh, I mean, that is ridiculous. That was one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. Anyone that knows anything a little bit about law, a, a three-month deputy will know that you're a convicted sex offender first. You go to trial, you're found guilty, you're sentenced, you do your time in jail. Once you leave the jail and you move to wherever you're going to go, you have so many hours or days to register, if every state is different, to register as a sex offender. And that's when you are then uh, changed your status from uh, non-registered to registered sex offender. And that's so that we can keep track of you. Regardless, you are a sex offender. Just because you're still serving your time and you haven't registered, it doesn't mean that you're not a sex offender. So what do we do? Well, here's what we do. We give this man who's a billionaire his entire own private wing. We give him special privileges with unlimited visitors. We give him six days a week up to 12 hours a day on work release 
where he can go freely to his home or his place of business, sometimes both. We do a deputy detail and we follow him and we sit outside of his home or his place of business, depending on where he's going. We park a patrol car out there, but we're not allowed to stop anyone from coming in or, or going out. That's number one. And number two, we're not allowed to enter. So we don't know what's going on in the home or in the place of business. Obviously, as you can see under the current investigation that's been going on, there's been allegations of further more women were actually raped or, or sexually violated while we were sitting outside of the place of business or his home. Uh, when the investigation comes to a head and the sheriff was pressed on this, he says very clearly that he had no knowledge that this was going on. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Machado, I'm here to tell you, I grew up in this agency. I worked here almost 30 years before I retired or run for office. And I will tell you right now, no one has that kind of clout or power to give those kinds of benefit or grant these types of benefit to a sex offender without the sheriff's blessing and approval. No one would even dare to do such thing. So it happened. Why? I don't know. You'll have to ask the sheriff himself. But I wish he would just stand up and say, you know what? It happened on my watch. Shame on me. It's on me. Instead, he opens up an internal investigation on the deputies that work the details because, you know, if something happened to any of these women, then they fell of their duties, their jobs, their responsibility. No, sir. It's on you. You're the one that allowed him to go out. And what I say is, under, under my term as your sheriff, there will be no sex offender allowed in any way, shape, or form to walk the streets of Palm Beach County when they're supposed to be doing their time. It's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's no uh, deterrent. That's not no. a deterrent. No, not at all. Not <sighs> at all. So that's just one of the small things that happened. You know, the, well, it's actually a very big deal that happened, and it's still currently under investigation. Um, I don't know if it's uh, if the governor of, of Florida is done with his investigation on this or not. My understanding is that it's still open. I haven't seen any closed reports on this yet. Um, but it, it's a shame. I, and, I, and again, I'm not. You know, I'm always been a fir- I've always been a firm believer. If, if your guys, your people make a mistake, you own it. You admit it. You own it. You, you're clear and transparent with the public. And you say, we dropped the ball. I'm changing policy. I'm addressing this. I'm addressing that. And it will not happen again on my watch. I can respect you for that. But I cannot respect you when you say that you didn't know. Because that's just absolutely not true. I'm here to tell you no one would dare to make a, uh, that kind of a move within an agency like this. It just would not well, happen. I mean, the, the whole, I mean, every, what, what I think and what most people think is somebody was paid off somewhere to look the other way. Right, right. Uh, and that could very well be. Of course, the investigation will hopefully will identify that. I'm not, you know, it would be foolish on my part to, to make a statement like that and, and point fingers towards the sheriff on something like that. What, what I will point fingers towards the sheriff is, again, the lack of transparency and the lack of accountability. I have serious issues with that. What do you think are the odds that uh, somehow he's still alive? You know, a lot of people say that, uh, not only because of his money, but the islands and so forth. Other people ask me all the time, do you really think he committed suicide or was he actually murdered? You know, sir, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I I just don't. I, I, I believe in facts, and I didn't work that investigation. I was the captain of criminal investigations, but I did not work that particular case, so I can't speak for that. But I will tell you this. Um, if anyone can pull something off like that, would be him. It's, it's just based on, on the money that he has mm-hmm. or he had or whatever the case may be. But I, I believe the man has passed away, and I believe uh, he died in that jail, and I believe he's in Bury. That's, that's my belief until someone else proves me otherwise. <clears throat> yeah, it's a strange 
strange man altogether and definitely yep. involved in some bad bad stuff. Okay, yeah, so a lot of people were involved. It wasn't just the sheriff's office. I understand this. If you yeah. go back and you look at the at the investigation, the state attorney's office was just as bad and negligent about it, uh, even up all the way to the federal government. I mean, the chief of police was followed and harassed here. That was working it from Palm Beach. I mean, it was sad. It's a sad story. What's the uh, What's the You know, I'm looking at your flyer here on your Facebook page. You said over yes. 34 years of law and enforcement experience. So, yes. what What year did you start? Was that 86 or something? No, sir. Oh. I actually started in 1979, right out oh. of high school. I went oh. to the U.S. Army Military Police. Oh, where I okay. did, where I did my three years of military police. Uh, from there, I served uh, a traffic homicide investigator and SWAT team member. That was, that was my function in the U.S. Army Military Police. When I finished my term, I was actually hired while I was still at the sheriff's office with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Uh, so I left the army, went straight into the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, where I spent the next 27 and a half years there. Wow. Uh, yeah. During that time, I, I started out as a patrolman, worked my way up to road sergeant. I uh, took the exam and finally was promoted to sergeant. From there, I went to narcotics. I spent many, 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 many years working in narcotics, uh, working undercover narcotics as a narcotic agent, then as a narcotic sergeant, narcotics lieutenant, and then finally narco- narcotics captain, which is called Organized Crime Bureau Commander. Um, I was also the SWAT commander of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. I was also the SWAT commander at Highlands County Sheriff's Office, and I was a homicide uh, captain, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, captain of training division. Uh, so, you know, I have a lot of experience. There are all the toughest units. I've, you name it, I've worked them. Um, I work with multi-million dollar budgets, so I'm, I'm very responsible with that with that end of it. I've sat on hiring boards, educational boards, termination boards, uh, you know, union, uh, union boards, uh, collective bargaining is what we actually call them here. Um, so, there's not much that I haven't seen or or been through. Would you um, say it was easier to police back in uh, 1985, or is oh it or yeah. now? No, 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 no. Back then, absolutely. Um, great question, by the way. Um, and I will answer that question this way. Okay, so technology is better today. So we have more tools in our tool belt, without a doubt. Our crime scenes uh, investigation is ten times better than what it was in the 70s and 80s. Um, our special response team, which is your SWAT, uh, 10 times better. The equipment overall for the entire agency is top notch. Aviation unit, Marine unit, you name it, canine unit, all top notch. Now, why do I say it was easier then than it is now, even though we have all these tools today? Well, a lot of it is honestly, it's social media. Uh, social media, uh, a distrust, uh, between the community and law enforcement. Um, and there's, there's blame to go around on both sides. Uh, I, I truly believe that the, both sides are, are guilty of, of, of or failing at their responsibilities to be able to bridge together the, the relationship. Um, and again, I think that's because on the law enforcement side anyway, I think it starts with, with trust through transparency. And I think on the public side is by patience and understanding. Don't judge us unless you walk in our shoes. So I, I think it's a push and pull, a give and take from both sides, but you have to have a a leader who believes in community involvement, community policing, and that type of approach throughout the entire agency, not just a unit. Uh, you can have a, uh, a community policing unit, but the philosophy of community policing needs to be uh, department-wide. Um, you know, so pol- policing, policing in yeah. general is... You remember that movie with Tom Cruise where they those things would predict a, a crime that was about to happen? 
based on someone's <laughs> yeah. trends or something like that. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. you when you take all the Google info and the Facebook info and all the Twitter, I mean, you there there could easily be predictive technology out there that that would uh, determine who might be at, at uh, you know prob- probability numbers and statistics. Uh, do you do you believe we're heading towards something like that? Is that even possible? I, I, I mean, because I mean, look, I look at we took out Suleimani. We took out Suleimani. Yeah. Yes, I, I think we're working on it right now as we speak. Uh, I think it all started years ago with the FBI and profiling, uh, criminal profiling, not illegal profiling on the street by a patrolman. But uh, we're talking about criminal mind profiling. I think we started back then. I think we've we've come a long way. Um, but you know. Honestly, there's just there's so many tools out there that you can do. And here's what I tell the public, Mr. Machado, is this. We in law enforcement, honestly, and anybody that tells you different, that they really are, have not been a really good cop or they haven't been a cop long at all. We are no good without the public. You see all these active shooters are, that are going on, uh, which is extremely sad. I, I say this. If you look at each and every one of those cases, for the most part, someone knew something or saw something, and we don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really sad. We don't say it because we're afraid that we're wrong. We don't say it because we don't want to upset the person. But, you know, honestly, most of the time, I can't give you an exact percentage, but, I, but I'm just from the little review that I've done and, and, and uh, research, and 80% of the cases, give or take, and don't call me that 80%, someone, someone knew something. So he, he or she posted it on the Internet, posted it on Facebook and social media, regardless. Or their, or their habits change. We see our children change in our own home. Now we're heading on a different topic, but we see our children behaving differently in school, behaving differently at home, and we're not saying anything. We're allowing them to lock their doors. We as parents are failing them by not having access to their bedroom or their social media. And I tell the parents all the time, and again, I speak every night somewhere, and I tell the parents, be a good parent, be a responsible parent. You don't need to be their friend. Right now, those days of, of parents becoming friends, because we went through that trend, stop being a parent and be more of a friend. I think we went too much to an extreme. We need to go back to being a parent. You, you need to have access to your children's social media, all their passwords. The, their door should not be locked in their, in their home. I always say this. They have no expectation of privacy in your home. You are the adult. You are the parent. Act like it. So I, I think that's where we're failing a lot. I don't think there's enough dialogue within the families, and I certainly know for a fact there's not enough dialogue between family and law enforcement, which is one of my plans that I have uh, as soon as God willing we win this election. I have a serious plan to change that immediately at minimal cost, if no cost at all. I mean, it's not like if I'm going to have to ask money to increase the budget, because you're right, I'm very conservative, and the last thing I want to see is is just continue to draw more and more money and demand more and more money from the budget. Well, I want to hear hear about that plan and... uh... Right after sure. this break, we've got uh, we got to take a quick break here. You've got a good message, and I'm pretty sure it's resonating with people in your area. Glad to have you on our program. We've got uh, more to come. We're going to get in. I want to know what the top three uh, crime issues are in your area, and then we're going to talk about your vision here for for uh, a better Palm Beach County Sheriff Department. Duke Machado here, RNHA News, visiting with Lauro Diaz, running for sheriff. Be right back.
All right, folks, Duke Machado, RNHA News Podcast. We're back visiting with Lauro Diaz, running for sheriff in Palm Beach County, Florida. And so we've got got to know you a little bit, and um, now we hopefully we can get into some meat and potatoes here on this um, uh, crime in your area. I mean, that's what that's what being sheriff is all about. You know, people want the protection from these criminals and the crimes that are happening around us. And I mean, Absolutely. how do you how do you see it? What what are the top three issues well, you deal with? Uh, obviously, the first one is always going to be theft. Uh, followed by burglaries to residences and businesses, uh, and then of course violent crime uh, such as gang violence, uh, domestic violence, um, and you know obviously sexual uh, nature type crimes. Uh, Palm Beach County, we have a variety of crime. We're not immune in any way, shape, or form from any type of crime. Um, but before we we get into that, I wanted to finish up on what we started right before the break, and, and that is what plan do I have for the public, for the parents, for the for the families to understand and how we can help the public being aware of what to look for. So real simple, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office um, has 18 districts. I, actually, they're getting ready to open up their 19. Uh, a district, for those of you who don't know, is basically a, a miniature police department. It could be as little as 100 uh, officers working out of that district to three or 400, depending on the size of the district. So there's uh, let's just stick to 18 for right now. I don't know if the 19th one has opened up yet. It's about to open. So let, let's stick to that. Well, each uh, district has a conference room and what I plan on doing and will do is uh, I will advertise for social media in the agency countywide each and every one of our locations and each and every one of our conference rooms and I will task specialized units to speak to anyone that would like to attend and every week it will be a different topic today will be gang awareness what to look for as a parent on your children as to whether or not they're joining gangs uh, drug awareness whether or not they're under the influence using or not using or subject to use. Um, and then, of course, uh, another one is on domestic violence, uh, what to look for to know if your uh, son or daughter is a victim of domestic violence or, or you know, you yourself, what, what are your rights? What can you do? What can we do as a society to help? Um, and then most important is on active shooters. Um, so those are the four main topics, and we would cover that on a monthly basis, once a week, different topic every week in different areas of the county so that you, the citizen, like I said, it's a very large county, don't have to drive 30, 40, 50 miles to go to one of the districts to sit in a two-hour class, which will be provided at no cost to you. Hmm. Literature will be printed and given to you with all the key notes and what you need to take with you, the knowledge you need to walk away with. So that's, that's the first thing I'm going to do day one, because it's simple, it's easy. We have the talented uh, instructors that can provide that information, and it really costs nothing, and it will bring the public and law enforcement together. So uh, I'm very excited about that. Now, my number one plan and priority is ensuring and improving on our school security. We all know about the active shooters at our schools. Um, you know, you just had the Parkland one, which was horrific not too long ago down here real close to us in Broward County. Uh, a lot of people don't understand. There's a, there may be one, maybe two school resource officers or deputies, whatever you want to call them at a school. Um, but the surrounding area is surrounded by maybe 10, 15, 20 deputies, depending on the size of the county or the size of the district. And these officers really have no knowledge of what the school looks like, where to go if something happens. So here's what I, here's the scenario that I use, and it won't take but a minute. Go back and remember your first day in middle school or your first day in high school when you had to take more than one class. 
And remember your very first day when that bell rang and you had your list of all your class numbers and you you, you got nervous, you could hear your heartbeat going through your chest. You're trying to find that class before the bell rings. It was very stressful. At least it was for me. Hmm. Um, and, and you were just, you didn't even sleep the night before. Oh my God, am I going to find all my classes? So imagine that. Now try to find that classroom under an active shooter, bullets are flying. You can't tell where adventure is coming from in a school because all of the concrete buildings in different directions are all ricochets and the sound just bounces off each wall. So it's very hard to find it. You don't know the locking system for the, for the schools because all schools are now locked outside after the class starts, at least in Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. Front gate is locked, front door is locked. You either need a, a pass card, a key code, or a, what they call a key box. Either way, you have to be prepared, right? So bullets are flying. Dispatcher's screaming on the radio, trying to get you there. You're screaming to get there, and now tunnel vision jumps into you. Tunnel vision is a very horrible thing to try to get over it once it affects you. It happens to us in the military. It happens to us in law enforcement. And it's just your vision narrows down to nothing, to the size of a pea. So here's what Sheriff Diaz will do for you. Every deputy that has a school in their sector, I don't care if it's private, charter, or public school, Every officer will go on a daily basis to that school. They will walk that school. They will talk to the school resource officer. They will introduce themselves to the principal. They will introduce themselves to the different staff, and they will find every building in that school. And they will do that over and over and over again routinely. This is not just to do it one day and they say, okay, we walk to school. No, sir. What I want is, God forbid, that 911 goes off. I want any deputy within that district to be able to enter that school as fast as possible, find that location, neutralize the threat. Because time does save lives, and we need, to, we need to start thinking outside the box. In addition, every deputy that has a school in their sector, when they're doing their report, sometimes it takes us two or three hours to do a report. Instead of parking underneath a tree, instead of parking behind a plaza, let's park in front of a school. Because schools are becoming a serious target in, the, in, this, in this country, and you know what? Our children, that's it. That's number one. That comes first before anything else. And we have to do everything in our power to protect them. And again, it's not causing the taxpayers a dime. I'm not adding anything to it. There's no special budget for it. It's just changing the way you do your job. Well, it's putting priorities uh, absolutely on our local community, and you sure. know those are tangible. Those are tangible things. You know, most people, you know, but that's the deal about politics. Sometimes you get into deals making promises that you can't keep. What, what do you think right. about that? Oh, absolutely, it happens all the time. And there's nothing that I'm saying that I will not do. And again, let me say it so that everybody that's listening can hear me. If I fail on my job, do not reelect me, please. The last thing you need is an incompetent sheriff. So, or a sheriff doesn't believe in transparency. So, you know, give me that opportunity. I think outside the box. I have the energy. I have the drive. I have the experience. And I know what this county needs. I just need the opportunity. So what kind of grip does uh, um, the cartels and all that have in your county? Uh, well, right now it's, uh, it's done a little bit different than that. You're going back to the 70s and 80s. That was really, really heavy. And again, I, I spent over, I think it was 10, 12 years in the narcotics division working at different levels. Uh, and back then in those days, it was very bad. Today, the, the way that the drug deals are done is completely different, especially with, you know, cutting edge technology and, and, you know, your computers and your laptops and your cell phones. Uh, you know, standing on a street corner swinging dope, at least, you know, uh, in this county, those, those days are very rarely seen any longer. Uh, today is done through secret deliveries, secret spots, meeting arrangements through through the internet and so forth. And of course, a lot of uh, interdiction. 
what does interdiction mean it means it can come in via mail via car via bus train plane so we have an interdiction unit um but the drugs are still here they're they're the type of drugs might have changed to a certain extent. Again, the 70s was main, mainly uh, LSD and, and marijuana, and then the 80s came cocaine and crack cocaine. Uh, and now heroin has made a big comeback, so heroin is an issue. And, of course, prescription drugs. That's, you know, that's right at the top of the game. Uh, these young kids today love to experiment with prescription drugs, and uh, so we have to change the way we operate all the time. We do have a very competent competent. Uh, narcotics division in the, in the sheriff's office with a lot of people, with a lot of experience. We do have task force that we work with, with state levels, state, federal, and, and local levels. Uh, and we, we do a really good job on that. Can we do more? Yes. I believe that the, uh, I'll give you an example. In my days when I was there as a commander, I had 162 people under my command working just narcotics per se. I think today is a little bit less. I think today is maybe, one second, I apologize for that. I think today is maybe, you know, 60 or so. So it's, it's gone down quite a bit because priorities have changed um, and priorities have changed for different reasons. That's where I come in and say, you know, politics play a role. Uh, there's a lot of task force that sounds good, but really, what are they doing? You know, and I'm not against task force. I, I'm a firm believer in having robbery task force, auto theft task force, you know, whatever task force you want to name. I, I'm all for it, but it should never be done at the cost of your frontline patrol. So what does that mean? That means if I do a task force today, obviously I can't hire 20 more people to do that task force. There's only so many dollars in the budget, which means I have to now take people from the road, officers from the road, and put them in these task force, which now weakens our front line of defense, which is your everyday patrolman, patrolman, patrolwoman. So you have to be very careful. It sounds good, but at the end, are you really doing a service or a disservice to the community? So a tricky situation um, these days seems to be what the sheriff's department's going to do when they run into um, undocumented immigrants. Yes, yes. That's a, that's a heavy topic here, a very heavy topic. So, um, I, I get that asked all the time. Will I deport them? Will I arrest them? What, what will I do? Um, and, 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 you know, it's a simple answer. It really is truly a simple answer. What it comes down to is this. You know, I don't care if you're legal or illegal. That, that's that. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is whether or not you committed a crime. You know, I am not ICE. I am local law enforcement. And here's what I tell the public all the time. If you commit a, if you commit a crime, because the biggest question that comes up, let me back up, the biggest question that comes up is whether or not uh, I, as a sheriff, will adhere to an ICE detainer, right, from immigration. That's what they really want to know. Because some sheriffs say yes, some sheriffs say no. I don't know what this sheriff does. Um, and you know, you would have to ask them directly, but here's what I say. You commit a crime. doesn't matter to me what crime it is. You're charged, you're arrested, you're booked in the County jail and you go to trial like any other citizen, any other person in this country. That's what makes this country great. Right? So you go through the process, you do your time. Now I will tell you right now, if you're an illegal and you were arrested for committing a crime, yes, I will enforce ICE. Uh, an ICE detainer, and you will be sent back over to ICE, and they will deport you, and I'm a firm believer in that. I am not a believer in sanctuary cities. I get asked that a lot, too. No, I do not believe in sanctuary cities, um, you know, and I am a strong believer in the Second Amendment. For some people, that makes me popular. For other people, I'm not that popular. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's all within using common sense. But when it comes to immigration, as local law enforcement, we can't be the enforcers of, of going around 
finding illegal people and getting them out of our county or arresting them. First of all, we don't have the manpower to do that because if I did that, God forbid you or your wife or your daughter or your son dial 911, we wouldn't have the deputy to send to you because that's, we just we just don't have it. You would have to go detain someone. You would have to take them to a, to a facility, a holding facility. You had to do all the paperwork on that, which is extremely extensive. And at the end of the day, when I do that, I lost that officer for that entire zone <clears throat> that he or she is responsible for. So that's why the federal government has their own immigration ICE section, that that's their primary job, and that, that's their role. What do well, you I think? Assist- what do you think the tone is of the uh, the deputies, the the patrol guys in in the in the force there? Uh, here in this county, honestly, they have plenty to do. The last thing that they want to do is get involved in that. Yeah. They, they, you know, the, the call volume for service is very very high in this county. I don't have exactly the amount of calls that we respond to every year, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of calls, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands of calls. Uh, so again, they're, they're jumping from one call to another, to another, to another. And most of these calls, you know, are going to be traffic accidents, you know, domestic battery, uh, drowning, unfortunately in Florida happens quite a bit, uh, you know, uh, gang violence. We do have a, uh, last time I checked, we had over 60, uh, documented gangs in Palm Beach County. Uh, one of them just wow. shot one of our deputies in the face and they shot one of our canines. Um, so, you know, it, it's a serious problem. It's been a problem since the 1980s. Mm. So there, there's plenty of work to go around. And here, let, let me just leave you this, Mr. Machado. You know, I always say this. What does the public really want from local law enforcement? It's not to be their friends. It's not to be their father, their mother, their caretaker. But here's what they really do want. I, I know because I've been there. God forbid you dial 911. You want an officer there. That's the bottom line. You know, that's the bottom line. And if we can't provide that service in a timely manner, then we're doing the service to our citizens. Do you feel, do you feel you're understaffed? Uh, yes. In certain areas, I I definitely 100% believe we're understaffed, but I I don't think it's a staffing issue in the sense that we need more allocations in the agency. I think it's more of using your, your, your allocations correctly. I don't agree with the way, our current sheriff uh, disperses his allocations throughout the county. I believe certain areas of the county uh, receive better service and faster response than others. And, mm-hmm. and I don't believe in that. I believe we need to treat everyone equally, and everybody's entitled to the same level of service by our local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So, no, I do not believe that we do it equally. I know for a fact that we don't. Well, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, people say making make America great. Some people will say make America great is a, a racist uh, statement <laughs> because it, it conjures up an era of uh, what some people might call uh, colonialism or something like that, right? right. And But to me, what, make America great, that's like uh, being able to ride my bike around the neighborhood at night, right. it, not being afraid of being taken or absolutely you know absolutely without a doubt don't don't without i mean can can we have that back is it possible to have that uh, sort of you, uh, you know i'm not going to be naive about it uh we're living in a different world today I, I don't think we can live with our doors open like i grew up here in palm beach county with our windows open or screens open um our court doors were always left open uh, i'm going to be honest with you i would be lying to you if i told you that we can do that in this county the answer is no You'll wake up and your car have been burglarized, your home have been burglarized, and your stuff's been gone. So uh, those, those days are gone. But here's what I can tell you, though. Our streets overall can be safer. 
I think we need more guys and uh, men and women in uniform in the front lines. I think we need the entire agency to be a community policing philosophy where they have uh, a relationship or develop a relationship with all of our community leaders. Uh, we work with our youth groups, and, and we do that now, but I don't believe that we do it at the level that we, that we need to and that we can. So that's what's going to help us down the road. Uh, but until you build that, because wh- what happens is we'll, we'll arrive at a scene and we'll ask someone, did you see anything? And automatically they say no. Or they, they're, they're standoffish. Mm-hmm. And we need, to, we need to knock that off. So there almost needs to be a culture shift, a whole attitude oh, shift all the way On through. On both sides. And you, think both the, sides. you think the existing people will, will be willing or susceptible to take on that, you know, that uh, mission? Well, that's, you know, and I, again, I don't mean to sound arrogant here in any way, shape, or form, but for me, there won't be an option. <laughs> that, that, that's my goal. Yeah. That's what I expect from, from our men and women. I know at the end of the day, uh, they want to serve and protect our community. I know because they live in the same community. Uh, it's just a matter of changing the way we do it and the way we communicate with people and the same thing from people with us, the general public with us. You know, they, they, have, to, they have to play their part. They have to put in their dues and say, you know what, I don't need to be a jerk just because this guy pulled me over. Let me see why he pulled me over. Let me give him yeah. an opportunity. A lot of times we get up to the car door and, you know, there, there's just – horrible to us without we don't even get a chance to say why we stopped you yeah it's definitely it's a mindset and, and it does exactly. need to change that's for sure exactly well i'll tell you uh, what uh laudo diaz has been our guest tonight here on rnha news podcast and uh awesome visit with you tonight sir um you. you can find him on facebook diaz for sheriff like his page transparency equality respect and professionalism proven leadership years and years of experience SWAT you name it sounds like you've got all the uh, the background you need sir thank you for being our guest tonight give you the last word thank you Uh, listen everybody have a blessed evening Uh, thank God for a great nation please let's pray for soldiers overseas and, and, and abroad and all of our first responders and uh, if you want to help in the campaign, please go to dsforsheriff.com and uh, help in any way you can. I appreciate it. God bless all. All right. Folks, Duke Machado, RNHA News Podcast. We're out of here.